theyeshiva.net. Hosek and Parshas Re'eh, it's in your first source sheet. Parshas Re'eh, Perik Yud Gimel, Posek Beis. Ki yokum bekir b'cho novi o'ycholeim chaloim, v'nosan e'lecha o'iso meifes. If there arises from amidst you a prophet or a dreamer, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the miracle, the sign, the wonder that he performed, that he predicted, actually materializes. And his message is, look, I am a prophet, let us go worship other gods. You should not listen, not obey. The words of that prophet or dreamer, I'll ask a question, if so, how did he manage to pull off such a feat, a supernatural miracle? Hashem is testing you to know if you love your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Here we have a fascinating mitzvah. A man comes along and performs miracles. And not fake miracles. It's not, you know, the magic shows, <laughs> the puppet shows. The Torah says, oh boy, lecha He predicts something and it happens. He performs a supernatural event and it happens. And he uses this as proof that he's a genuine prophet sent from the creator of the world to tell the Jewish people to go worship idolatry. Comes the Torah and says, do not listen to him. Either is a miracle it doesn't mean he is a true Navi. God never spoke this. This is what the Torah says. Granted, on this Pasik, there is a mysterious and strange commentary of the Baal HaTurim that has uh, perturbed Jews for many generations. Perturbed them so much that many editions deleted the Baal HaTurim. It was too mysterious to handle. A few words about the Baal HaTurim. When you open a Chumash, you'll see most Chumashim, or many Chumashim on the bottom. You see Baal HaTurim, which means the author or the master of the Turim. Turim literally means rows or lines. Who is the Baal HaTurim? It's good to know. You have a Chumash, you see Baal HaTurim. It's good to know who the Baal HaTurim was and why he was called Baal HaTurim. The Baal HaTurim is one of the great Rishonim, one of the great sages of Germany, and then of Spain. His father was the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher. Rabbeinu Asher was born in Germany and was one of the greatest Talmudic sages and rabbis and scholars of the time. And he had many children. One of his sons was a Jew named Rabbeinu Yaakov, who becomes known as the Balaturim. Grows up in Germany, learns and studies by his father, the Rosh, Rabbeinu Usher in Germany. 
the Bala Turun Rabbeinu Yaakov is born approximately in the year Hey Alafim Chavtes in the Hebrew Jewish calendar, which would mean Hey Alafim Chavtes would mean 1269, approximately 1269. As is always, from the, in those years, we're not sure exactly the records. We're not, we don't have exact, accurate records, but approximately 1269 or 1270. As a youngster, his father escaped Germany. To, he was born probably in Cologne, in Cologne in Germany, Rabbeinu Yaakov. His father and the entire family escaped from Germany to Spain. The reason is that in the late 1200s, and early 1300s, there were terrible, terrible persecutions against the Jews in Germany. 146 communities were destroyed and decimated. The Rosh himself had a friend, a student, another student of Maharam Mirottenberg, who was both of their Rebbes, was killed, he, his wife, and five children. So the Rosh decided it's time to escape. There may be other reasons why he escaped, and he took his family and he fled to the West to Spain and settled in the city of Toledo. Toledo in Spain, where the Rosh Rabbeinu Asher settled with his family. His reputation was already well known, and here you had the unique phenomenon of an Ashkenazic sage mingling and living with the Sephardic Spanish community, where there was somewhat of a different method of learning and scholarship. The Rosh was accepted and welcomed by the Jews of Spain with tremendous respect and excitement, including by the Rajba, who was one of the greatest of the sages at the time in Spain, Rabbeinu Shleima ben Aderes, and his son Rabbeinu Yaakov grew up with him, or is already older, in Toledo in Spain. Rabbeinu Yaakov is most known because of an extraordinary halachic work that he wrote called the Tur. The Tur was the first major halachic work to be organized in a unique style, in the four categories of compiling all of the halachic works, of course from Mishnayis and Gemara, but all the way down, including his father the Rosh, including the Rif, including the Rambam. But unlike the Rambam, who is the first major halachic codifier, the Rambam always gives you one opinion, his opinion, the halacha. The Rambam never rarely discusses debates, the Tur, in his halachic work, will bring down the various halachic opinions and then come to a conclusion the way he sought. In that sense, people embrace the Tur more than the Rambam, at least in many communities, because of the diversity. They could see the various opinions that developed. But his structure, Eirachayim, Eirachayim dealing with daily Jewish life. Yoridea dealing with what we call Isser Veheter, like Shechita and Kashras. Avaydazara Ribis, and then you have Evan Ezer, marriage, divorce, marital relationships, Chayshem Mishpat, civil law. That became the structure of Halacha, these four categories. Unlike the Rambam, he only wrote down Halachas that are relevant to nowadays, like unlike the Rambam, who includes also Halachas of the Beis HaMikdash and the future when Mashiach comes. The Tur became really known because of the great commentaries written on the Tur. The greatest halachic authorities wrote their commentary on the Tur. The Beis Yosef, his, he's called Beis Yosef because it's a commentary that Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote on the Tur. He lived a century after the Tur. The Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Iserlish, wrote a commentary on the Tur. Darke Moshe, the Bach, Rabbi Yoel Sirkish, wrote a commentary on the Tur. 
Rabbi Yeshua Falik, Katz, the Prisha, the Drisha. So some of the greatest halachic authorities in subsequent generations wrote their commentaries on their tour before, for example, the Beis Yosef went on to write his own Shulchan Aruch. But first he writes his commentary on the tour. And the Shulchan Aruch is structured just like the tour. And in that sense, the Torah remains a timeless classic. This is Rabbeinu Yaakov's great contribution to Jewish life. Personally, he struggled. He writes in the Torah, in Hilchas Shabbos, I think in Simen Eurechaim, Simen Reish Membez, he says, I asked my father a few times, when the Gemara says, Make your Shabbos weekday like a weekday, you shouldn't have to come on to people. You shouldn't have to come on to people to give you tzedakah, to give you gifts. If you could make Shabbat chachoyal, treat it like a weekday, better live with dignity. So he says, I asked my father a few times if that applies to me, a man like me who doesn't have anything during the week too. And he says, Lo shivani dava. my father never answered me. This is just in the tour, he includes somewhat of his uh, financial stress, despite being one of the greatest halachic authorities of the time. But the tour also wrote another commentary, another work. Known as a commentary on Chumash. Pirush Hatur, the commentary of Tur on Chumash. When you'll open up a Chumash, you'll see Baal Haturim. That is not his real commentary on Chumash. His real commentary on Chumash is much, much longer. It's a full, developed beer explanation on Chumash. However, in his commentary, he includes hints. Remazim, Gematrioyis. This was unique about Rabbeinu Yaakov Baal Haturim, And that is if one word is brought in other places in Tanakh, he will quote every time the word is brought in other places of Tanakh and explain the connection. He will discuss a lot gematria, the numerical values of words, and different types of interesting hints and intimations, part of the world of Remes. So what happened was, the authors of Chumash extracted some of the, what they felt were charming tidbits of the Balaturim's commentary, and they put it into our Balaturim, but it's really a very brief version. There's the Tur HaAruch, which means the long Tur. There you have a full developed commentary on Chumash. So the Tur lives, so he's known as the Tur. The Tur means a row in the Choshen Mishpat, in the breastplate. The Pasuk says there were Arba Turim, right? There were four rows with, uh, with the gems, with the diamonds that were placed in the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol. So therefore he also has Arba Turim. His four rows, Erechayim, Yeridei Evan, Mishpat, would deal with different aspects of Jewish life. That's why he's called the Baal Haturim, the master of the rows, because of his work, Rabbeinu ya- this is Rabbeinu Yaakov, Baal Haturim. He passed away in the year around 1343, again it's not clear, but in the 1340s, probably in Spain. Although here there's an interesting argument where he's buried. Some claim that he's buried in Toledo, and they even have a tombstone, for the, for the tour, Rabbeinu Yaakov Alaturim, and they even have a day, he was passed away, Tammuz, some say Yudbeis Tammuz, the 12th day of Tammuz, and others say, no, he passed away on an island in Greece, and that's where there's a tombstone for him. Until today, there's a debate, an interesting debate, where a man is buried, whether in Spain or in Greece, because apparently, according to some, he left Spain. The reason is we have some sources, people say they were in Greece in an island called Chios or, or, or Chios, and they saw, they prayed, at the, they wanted to pray at the tombstone of uh, Rabbeinu Yaakov Baal HaTurim. It's interesting that I believe, you'll know this, the Torah I think is the second Hebrew book that was printed. When the printing press came out, the first one was what? Rashi. I believe that the Torah is the second Hebrew book that was ever printed. That's what I think. 
This just gives you an understanding of the prominence that the tour held because of his style, because he synthesizes Ashkenazic and Sephardic scholarship growing up in Germany and then relocating to Spain, to Sephard. Of course, one century later, the Jews would be expelled from Spain, 1492, a century after the rush, a century after Rabbeinu Yaakov Balaturim, and because of the fact that he compiles all of the various opinions and he's very meticulous and uh, precise in his halachic work in the Torah. On this Pasuk, there's a very enigmatic Balaturim. It's a gematria, it's a numerical value. And you have it in the second source, Balaturim re'eyud gimel beis ki yakum bekirbecha. Novi, zogde Balaturim bekirbecha begematria zu ha'isha. Bekirbecha is the numerical value, like the word zuha isha, this is the woman. Bekirbecha is 324, right? Kuf is 100, Reish is 200, that's 300. Chaf is 20, so you have 320. Bays and Bays is another 4, 2 and 2, 324. Zuha Isha, this is the woman, is also 324. Shin is 300, and then you have Hay and Hay is 310, 311. Then you have another 7 of Zion is 318, plus Vav 6, 324. So when the Torah says, from when a month, a, if there arises amongst you a prophet, and the prophet performs a miracle, and the prophet says, now let's go worship a pagan false god or deity, you know it's false. Do not listen to this prophet, even though there was a miracle. Comes the Balatum says, Bekir Becha, Zuha Isha. This is the woman. What is he talking about? Which woman? Oopsie. Which woman is he talking about? <laughs> okay. Besede, <laughs> besede. Gishme Bracha. It's true. It's true that Bekirbecha is 324 and Zuhaisha is 324. That's not a question. But what is the Balaturim trying to say? This is a, the woman. Which woman? Whose woman? What does he want from a woman? What's the connection with Bekirbecha? For generations, this Balaturim remained an enigma. And that's why. I have seen myself in various chumashim where they quote the Balat, where they bring, where they print the, they print the Balaturim and his gematrius. This is often not found. Sometimes publishers, printers took a little authority in determining what belongs in what belongs in the book, what doesn't belong in the book, and they deleted it. I'll give you meinyan It just comes to mind a fascinating, another fascinating example on another level. At the end of every Parsha, you will see the number of verses in the Parsha. Kuf Yud Aleph Psukim, Kuf Ayin Vav Psukim, the amount of Psukim in the Parsha. And then there's always a simon, a mnemonic to help you remember the simon of the Parsha. That's how you have, for example, Parsha's Tetzave, Kuf Aleph Psukim, right? Uh, give me, give me a chumash again. <laughs> I believe Michal Simon, Michal Simon. It's Parshas Tetzavah, for example. So at the end of Tetzavah, it's going to say, this has the Simonim, Kuf, yeah, Kuf Aleph Psukim, 101 Psukim, Michal Simon. How are you going to remember? The word Michal. 
What's the connection between Mechol and Parshas Tetzav? Okay, that's a separate, that's separate, uh, a separate question. You'll take a look, for example, Parshas Re'eh, talking about this Pasek and Parshas Re'eh. So Parshas Re'eh at the end, like every single Parsha, has the amount of Psukim, Kuf Chavav Psukim, 126 Psukim. It's going to be a long Kriya Satayra this Shabbos. Brace yourself. Plia Simen. The Simen is Plia, which means a wonder, a Pella, which may even have to do with uh, what we just discussed. The wonders that this false prophet performs. Perhaps not, perhaps yes. There's one Parsha that doesn't have a simon. There's one Parsha that doesn't have a simon. Parsha's Pekude. Parsha's Pekude has no simon. Why? The man could, whoever authored the simon, and we're not sure, couldn't find a simon for Pekude. Every word you could find, every number you could find somewhere associated with it. So I once saw there was a Rav in Tel Aviv. His name was Rabbi Alexander Sender Yudasin. In the 1950s, I think it was, he wrote a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe in New York and he asked him the question. So the Rebbe wrote back and he says, we have to look at all the old prints of Chumash that have Simonim, including the first ones. Maybe it fell out. Sometimes these things were deleted over the generations. Then he said, but maybe I could suggest something else. The man wrote as follows. Pkudeh, Tzadik Beis Psukim. It has 92 Psukim. Belikol Simen. Belikol Simen. The Simen is Belikol. Kol is how much? 30 and 20 is 50. Beli is another 30 and 10 is 40. So you have 90 and Beis too. Belikol Simen. The next publisher sees this and he reads Tzadik Beis Psukim, Beli Kol Simen. This Parsha has no Simen. <laughs> Beli Kol Simen, it has no Simen. <laughs> he, okay, this, so he thinks to himself, why do I have to say Tzadik Beis Psukim, right? And there's no Simen. Just take out the Simen. <laughs> right? When you have guests at the table, you don't say, oh, by the way, there's no dessert. There's no dessert. There's no dessert. I'll figure it out. Say tzaddik beis psukim, don't give a simen. So he took out the whole word. He didn't understand that belikol is the simen, not belikol simen. That was his suggestion. So interesting, interesting chap. Different people felt the authority to be able to manipulate texts according to their understanding. This balaturim has been deleted from many texts. Comes Rebakiva Eger. Rabbi Kiva Eger, as you know, was one of the great goinim of the generations. We now forward many centuries after the tour. Rabbi Kiva Eger passed away in the year Tofkuf Tzadik Ches, which means 18, 1838. A Jew from the early 19th century, the great Rav of Poison, which is a city in western Poland, became later the father-in-law of the Chassam Seifer, Rabbi Moshe Seifer. Rabbi Kiva Eger whose contribution to learning remains unique and extraordinary, is quoted as giving an interpretation in this Balatur. Where is he quoted? We don't have this in the works of Rabbi Kiv Eger. But we have a sefer called Torah Shlema that was authored by a famous Hungarian rabbi, not Rav Kasha's Torah Shlema, a generation earlier. A famous Hungarian rabbi, his name was Rav Shlema Tzvishik. He was the Rav of a city called Kurzak. And in his, he wrote others for him. He lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, late 1800s. 
he quotes in his Sefer Rebbe Akiva Eger, who lived a few decades earlier, and this quote, this is also brought in a Sefer, it's just Achayim. look at the next source. Rebbe Akiva Eger, according to the Torah Shlema, according to Rav Shik, Rav Shlema Tzvi Shik, suggested that something happened to this Balaturim. Somebody played a game with the Balaturim. Rabbi Kivayi says, "Look at the whole pasuk. It says ki yakum bekir b'cha navi." The Balaturim wrote something else. The Balaturim wrote bekir b'cha navi begematria zu ha'isha ubna. You have to put in the word navi. The word navi gives you navi is what nun veiz yud aleph. So nun is fifty, and uh, yud is ten. So it's sixty sixty three. What is the gematria of the word ubna? So you have nun is 50, vav and he is 11, 61, beis is 63. Balaturim never wrote bekir becha begematria zu ha'isha. He wrote bekir becha navi begematria zu ha'isha ubna. This is the woman and her son. Ah, now we understand what he's talking about. The famous there's one famous mother and her son who have had quite an impact, how do we say this, on humanity, none other than Oisoi Ha'ish, Yeshu Hanoitsri, and of course the woman, his mother, Mary, or his mother Miriam, as she is brought in, as, she, as her name is quoted in our sources. In fact, there is in the Sefer Tur Ha'aruch, which is the complete commentary of Rabbeinu Yaakov Balaturim and Chumash, I saw in some editions on this Pasik, there's a little bracket with a footnote from the publisher. Next source. The publisher of the Balaturim in the Hanover edition. Hanover is a city in Germany, says, I heard from a rabbi. I heard that in the original book of Gematrius that the Balaturim compiled as an intro to his commentary on Chumash, he wrote, Novi is the numerical value of Bna, but it was deleted. Why was it deleted? This has to do with many words or sentences that were deleted because of the censure, as it's known, because of the Christian censorship. Before a Jewish book was printed or published, it had to go, to, it had to go through a censorship. And perhaps already the Jews who prepared it, the Jews who prepared it knew that if they come across this Balaturim, it's going to spell trouble. First and foremost, they will never allow the book to be published. So therefore, they made various changes. We know this already in Shas, called Chesroinus Shas, pieces of Gemara that were deleted, pieces of Rambam that were deleted, pieces of Medrash were changed, enormous amounts of Jewish books that were published in Christian countries, Christian Europe, had to be changed because of the censorship. So what happened? The publisher was brilliant. He left Bekir Bechazuha Isha, took out Navi, took out Ubna, Nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing here that is problematic to the Christian faith, to the Christian religion. Why would the Baal Hatta? And I saw, I was looking, I looked this up, so I saw that different publications, there was a, a, a magazine, a, a periodical that was published in, in, in Europe uh, in, the, in the 1800s already, it was called Hama'asef. Uh, there was uh, an Amaasif, there was a writer who writes this. He says, This is what I think is Pratna Balaturim. 
other works. Uh, there was a periodical called Torah Mitzion, and there was an Alta Yidir. Uh, he wrote this that he heard this also. He, he said there was a Yidir, a, 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 a publication called Torah Mitzion, so there was a, a Jew from Yerushalayim. It was known as Rav Opalatka. So he writes over there that he found a chumish in his base medrash from early years in a base medrash called Doirish Tzion and over there there was a footnote explaining the Balaturim in this way. So according to the Balaturim the Pasuk here is Moshe Rabbeinu is saying the words Bekir Bechanavi and the numerical value is referring to who? Miriam, the mother, the woman and her son Yoshka. So that means thousands of years before the birth of Oisei Ha'ish, in the Torah, in Parshish Re'ei, Moshe Rabbeinu embedded through a numerical hint that this is who the Pasuk is referring to, or at least this is who the Pasuk is also referring to. This means that Oisei Ha'ish, Yeshu HaNoitzri, may have performed miracles. Because the Torah here speaks about a prophet who performs miracles. He may have performed supernatural events. It's almost irrelevant. But nonetheless, because he or his disciples, the epistles, his ambassadors, his representatives, preached a doctrine of of idolatry, therefore irrelevant of the wonders or miracles he may have performed, we know that he is a false prophet. Now this, I want to analyze for a few moments. Because here we come across a fundamental idea of how to understand Yiddishkeit. Often, in conversations with Jews, with students, sometimes Jews who are struggling with Judaism, sometimes missionaries, sometimes Jews who, for whatever reason, have embraced another religion, etc., Jews for J. In various discussions with various Jews, they'll often tell you that the reason that Jews rejected Christianity is because there's no proof to all the stories that they say about him. Splitting the water and distrib- whatever, healing the sick and distributing bread, all the all the nice, warm, fuzzy, miraculous, supernatural stories that the New Testament brings about, there's no proof for it. Somebody invented it, somebody made it up, and therefore, why should I believe him to be a prophet of God, to be Mashiach, to be all the things that they believe, even more than a Mashiach. Here's not the time to discuss and elaborate that about it, but the point is, there's no reason for me, uh, for me to accept it. But what we learn from this is that actually that is not the issue. Even if you were standing there and you saw him perform all those miracles and you knew that you weren't crazy, which is in itself a good question. I don't mean you, but people should ask themselves that question. It really has nothing to do with accepting it as true or false. Why not? Or to put it differently, why if a Navi performs so many miracles do we still say he's a false Navi? So here, the Rambam, as usual, articulates to us how we have to understand and appreciate what Judaism is based on, what we accept as true, and what we accept as false. I believe that this Rambam should be obligatory learning in every single yeshiva, 
but it's from the Rambams, everything is Tully and Mazel, this is not from the Rambams that is learned in most yeshivas, because it's the early Rambam Sefer Hamada, Hilchis Yisoydi Atayra, it's not a Rambam in Hilchis Ishus, it's not a Rambam in Hilchis Geirishin, it's a Nishta Rambam in Hilchis Yibu Muchlitza, it's a Nishta Rambam in Hilchis Mechira, it's a Nishta Rambam in Hilchis Shabbos, it's a Rambam in Hilchis Yisoydi Atayra, the fundamentals of all of Tayra. So if you want to understand Yibu Muchlitza, Ishus Geirishin, Mechira Toyanitin, etc. You first need the fundamentals, the foundations of Torah. Comes the Rambam, I quoted a few pieces of the Rambam here. It's two complete chapters in Rambam dedicated to these Psukim and Parshas Re'e and Parshas Shoftim. Rambam Hilchis Yisoydi Atayra Ches. It's a few paragraphs that I quoted here. It's really the whole chapter 8, the whole chapter 9. But we're going to learn excerpts that I took out from the Rambam. Zok the Rambam. Jews did not believe in Moshe Rabbeinu because of any miracles that he did. Why? Anybody who believes anybody or anything based on miracles is still cynical. If you are an intellectually honest person, you have to ask yourself, maybe this man is capable of what we call voodoo, magic. Kishif, optical illusions. Yes, he is talented, he is skilled. It doesn't mean he's not a con artist. <laughs> talented people are, could be great con artists. We all know that. People could be very skilled in manipulating nature. It doesn't mean what they're saying is true. Maybe they're lying or maybe they're delusional. It doesn't even have to do with a lie. Sometimes people are dreamers. They're delusional. It doesn't mean it's true. Ubameha minu boy. So why would they accept Moshe Rabbeinu as MS without a doubt? Why? And this is very important to understand. Did Jews accept Moshe Rabbeinu without a doubt or was it 90% true? Was it 90% true or was it 100% true? As much as humans can define truth, of course. The Rambam, one event. This is the critical event of Judaism. Why? Our eyes saw it, no stranger. This was no hearsay. Our ears heard it and no one else. There was nobody to tell us what happened. The fire, the voices, the lightning. Moshe approaches the cloud. A voice speaks to him. What that voice sounds like, the Rambam is not telling us. We don't know what the voice sounds like. If you would have had a video camera by Maimed Har Sinai, what would have the video camera picked up? I don't know. Hakoil medabere love on Ushaimim we hear. Moshe Moshe lechem orhlem kach vekach. Moshe Moshe go tell them, the Jewish people, so and so. Vekainuwaima, this is what the Torah says. Ponim biponim dibirashemi mochem. God spoke to you face to face. Vinemar, he says, This was not a covenant with a certain amount of individuals, your forefathers, but Moshe continues with you. Nimtzu, this means, The people he was sent to, they are the witnesses that his prophecy is true. It's not like they have to believe the prophet that he is saying truth. It's not that his charisma or his talent or his brilliance or his wisdom or his authority or his power is what impresses upon them to believe him. But rather, they are the witnesses. He doesn't have to perform a miracle. 
because he knows what they know and they know what he knows. So his miracles won't add, won't decrease. Just like if he believes himself, they will believe him. It's like two witnesses who saw something together. Every one of them is a witness to his friend, to his colleague that he's speaking truth. When my friend is saying, this is what happened, I'm not going to tell him, perform a miracle and let me know that it's true. I was there with him. And when I say the story, he was there with me. One does not have to prove it to his colleague. Once the entire Jewish nation, every man, woman, and child stood at Har Sinai, experienced what they all experienced together at Maimed Har Sinai, they trust Moshe Rabbeinu as God's prophet, not because of a miracle he performed, not because of something supernatural he did, but because they were all prophets like Moshe Rabbeinu. They all experienced the divine revelation. They all experienced the Aseris Adibris, the Ten Commandments. They all experienced simultaneously Hashem, God, telling them that Moshe Rabbeinu is chosen as his prophet, and therefore they will not afterwards ever doubt Moshe Rabbeinu's true authority as a Navi. That's what the Rambam says. Nimtzes Oimer. What does this mean? Shekol Navi Sheyamed Acha Moshe Rabbeinu. Any prophet who stands up after Moshe. We will never believe any Navi because of a miracle. We will never say, oh, you know why we trust him? Because he's a miracle worker. Eliyahu Navi, miracles. Elisha, miracles. We will not say we believe him because of a miracle, which means if he makes a miracle, we do whatever he says because we believe him. If he says God spoke to him, we believe him. We will not do that. You know why we believe a Navi? Because Moshe said to believe a Navi. Where does he say it? He says, Moshe says if he performs a miracle, you should listen to him. It's part of what Moshe Rabbeinu told us. Torah tells us, If two witnesses come and testify, we accept the witness's testimony as true. Of course, we have to investigate and scrutinize and research and inquire and confuse them, try to confuse them. What we call today, you know, cross, uh, cross-examination. What the Gemara calls Chakirid Risha. Shevach Kiris, Shevach Bdikis Kiris. But we believe the two Adis. Can we say for sure they're not lying? No. Maybe they're lying. So why do we believe them? Because Moshe Rabbeinu said to believe them. Why do we believe a Navi? Do we know for sure he's not lying? We don't. We don't. God never told it to us. He told it to him. I don't know that he's lying. I, he performed a miracle? Okay. Maybe he's right, maybe he's not right, maybe it's Kishif, maybe it's not. At least I can have a doubt. Moshe said, if this Navi has certain criteria, I'm telling you to believe him. Just like I tell you to believe two witnesses, just like I tell you to believe, to put on film, just like I tell you to keep Shabbos, and you know that I am a true Navi. Why? Not because I performed a miracle. Because you saw it. You saw the miracle. You were part of it. You were there at Maimon Har Sinai. What are the consequences of this in Halacha? 
lefichach im amad navi vaasaisus amayfsus amayfsum gedaylum of bikkesh lahakish nevoasish amayshur abena. Here the Rambam brings it to its logical conclusion: If a navi gets up and performs major miracles, what does isus amayfsum gedaylum mean? Major miracles, unique, astounding, and he comes to deny the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu through these miracles. He uses them as a method to undermine the nevuah of Moshe. In other words, to undermine the Torah. Ain't shaymen We don't listen. And we know certainly that they were magic. If Moshe Rabbeinu's Nevoah was authentic, authenticated because of the miracles, now we have to compare. <laughs> Moshe did this. Hey, this man is not bad. He's a good runner-up. Maybe he even, maybe even transcends him. Well, it's hard, to, hard probably to beat Moshe Rabbeinu's miracles. But not bad, so we compare. We believe him, we believe him. The Rambam says, you got it wrong. We don't trust Moshe's Nevoah. We don't put on tefillin, we don't keep Shabbos, we don't eat kosher, we don't do Yom Kippur. <coughs> we don't accept the 613 mitzvahs of Torah because Moshe's unique performance as a miracle man. Completely not that. So therefore there's nothing to contrast. Why do we believe Moshe? We were at Maimed Har Sinai. Maimed Har Sinai remained a reality upon which all of Judaism is based that no Jew can doubt. Or to put it this way, yes, you could say that 3 million Jews, how many? I mean, you have 600,000 between 20 and 60 males. Then you have at least that amount females. So that's 1.2 million. But then you have all the children till 20 and all senior citizens above 60. So you're dealing with 2 or 3 or maybe more million people. You could say that 3 million people had an optical illusion. Yes, you could. (laughs) I can also tell you that I'm not standing here and I could tell you that now is night. And I could tell you that this is not a piece of paper. And I could tell you that this is not a cup of coffee. Well, not anymore, Taka. Of course we could. But then you have to do that every, every, every time in life. Then you shouldn't walk on the ground. Then you shouldn't eat food because it may be cotton. And then you shouldn't walk into the house because the floor that you're seeing is not really a floor. You're going to fall in straight to the abyss. Fine. If you want to live your life based on the fact that you believe that your eyes are completely not a tool to determine truth, which I understand. Gesundte hate. Not a problem, but you have to be intellectually consistent. Never in history do we find a phenomenon. We spoke about this at length in our series on Basics of Amuna, Number nine. It was an interesting conversation with the questions and the answers afterwards. We did this at length. Not number nine, I'm sorry. Number nine was about pain. Probably number six or number seven. It's not this. Probably number six in our basics of Amuna. You can see it on the yeshiva.net. But the point, the, the main point the Rambam is making, and the, the Kuzari makes this Rabbeinu Yehuda Halevi, a generation before the Rambam, Rabbeinu Halevi lived before the Rambam in Spain, also Toledo, Spain. And other Rishonim made, but the Rambam here articulates it at length, and the Kuzari, the great philosophical work of the great Spanish philosopher, poet, physician, and leader, Rabbi Yehuda Alevi, makes it in his philosophical work, Sefer HaKuzari, which he wrote even before the Rambam, and the main point is this. Never in history do we have a phenomenon where millions of people should conspire 
to say something that they know is not true, and nonetheless they decide to state a lie. And what type of lie? A lie that is going to challenge their lives forever. At least if you're telling you, if you're tell, making up together that God told you something, why in the world would you decide that this God wants you to free your slaves after six years? Not to have anybody work on Shabbos. And once in seven years, all your savings accounts are open for everybody to take. But after Chzayin Abyssal, yeah, you could be Meshuggah, no question. So for, we don't have that precedent. Now, does this mean people don't believe lies? Of course people believe lies. But take even the Germans. After the defeat of Germany in the First World War, who was blamed? The Jews. But they didn't come to the German people and say that the Juden, the Jews, lie down on the roads and didn't let the tanks go to the front lines. Why did nobody say that? Why didn't they say that the Jews lie down on the road and didn't let the tanks go? Because nobody would believe that. They said that the Jews backstabbed us. They undermined us secretly. Because it's, we don't have a precedent that millions of people should know for sure it's a lie, but nonetheless conspire to state it as a lie and give it over to their children knowing it's a lie. All other religions will never claim, there's not one religion in the world that ever claimed that millions of people saw God choosing the prophet. Why not? It's a much better story. It's a much better story than the story of Muhammad experiencing his revelation, of Joseph Smith experiencing his revelation and founding the Mormon religion, of Isaiah experiencing his revelation with maybe his 12 disciples. Why does no other religion have a story of the entire nation, millions of people seeing it? You know why? <laughs> you know, what do you think? <laughs> why does nobody tell the story? Because you can't get away. You can't almost... We don't have a precedent of anybody getting away with such a thing. Somebody will tell the secret. Somebody will come out and say, You're Meshuggah. I'm not part of this game. I am not part of this game. You were there. No, he would say, I was there. Oh, I was there. Didn't happen yet. We do have, I think, one of the Hindu, in, in Hinduism, I think there is a religion I once read in India that claims that they had mass revelation, but there's a little postscript to the story, and everybody died out. <laughs> so you understand that that is health of Kadachas. Okay, everybody died out, so what do I gain from it? So the Rambam says this is an important idea. Jews didn't have a doubt that Judaism was true. They saw it. They experienced it. Did they understand everything they saw? That's a good question. Could they articulate exactly what they saw, what they heard? Obviously, God revealing himself, it happened then. It didn't happen again. But they were absolutely persuaded. So the Rambam says, this remains the parameter of Yiddishkeit, of Emes. Now the Navi comes and performs miracles. I don't look how great his miracles are. I ask one thing. Did Moshe Rabbeinu say, I should listen to him? If he has the criteria Moshe Rabbeinu said I should listen to him, I listen to him. Just like I listen to two witnesses, this is what Hashem wants me to do. This is what I do. What happens if this Navi comes and undermines, denies the Navu of Moshe Rabbeinu? What did he just do? Now he wants me to rely on his miracles. Now I have to contrast him with Moshe because he's saying Moshe was a liar. That I can't do. 
A miracle cannot compete against Maimon Harsinai. Sorry, it's impressive. It blows my mind. It's cool. The guy resurrected the dead. It's pretty cool, let's face it. It's a pretty big test. Even that. You know, there's a, the, 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 the Medrash, right? The Yalkut Shemoni writes on this Pasik, Oisomoifus, even if the Navi has the sun stop in the heavens. Imagine. Now that's pretty big. The Nitziv writes on this. It means that it's not Kishif. Because through Kishif you can do a lot of things. But to get the sun to listen to you, that's a problem. <laughs> to get the sun to stop its orbit or the earth to stop its orbit or both of them to stop their orbit, that's impressive stuff. Do you understand what we're talking about? Why am I emphasizing this? Because people don't understand that Jews did not accept Judaism because of culture or because of gefilte fish or because they like the music or because jalapeno herring is one of the best things that civilization produced. Or because my grandmother's Kneidla, Hanukkah latkes, and Hamantashen are unbelievable. Those are all great stuff, but you have to understand if you would have grown up in a Christian home, a Muslim home, a Buddhist home, a Hindu home, an Episcopalian home, a Baptist home, a Protestant home, a Catholic home, there's culture there too. It's truth based on the fact that this is what my mother told me, my father told me. And what if you grow up in a very different house that your father and mother told you the opposite? And what about the fact that most Jews today don't accept Maimed Harsinai as truth? Never mind most human beings. Well, actually the Christians do. (laughs) They just say it was changed afterwards. So the Jews did not accept this because it felt good or because they were afraid to ask questions or because they needed a good shidduch. And if you ask a question, you're going to lose your chance for a good shidduch for your son or your daughter or because they wanted to get into the right yeshiva. Because you will understand that such calculations have nothing to do with truth. Nothing to do with truth. The basis of Judaism did not come from a fear to ask questions. It came from the demand to ask what is true. Where do you see this? Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu would have accepted his father's idols. Where would we be today? Avram Avinu came in and he says, idols we smash. We don't accept fixed pieces of stone as gods. We don't. We smash idols. A Jew smashes idols. Judaism was the counter voice. The voice that came, Echod Hoya Avram, Chazal say, the world is on one side, he's on the other side. Jews are not here to conform. Jews are not here just to repeat like a parrot what others say. Jews are here to ask one question. What is true? What is right? The greatest miracles that don't impress the Jewish people. What a Rambam. What a Rambam. Zag the Rambam. What is this compared to? What's the example here? The Rambam gives an extraordinary example. Witnesses come to Bezdin. Not two. Not two hundred. Two thousand witnesses. And they testify what they saw. But you know that you saw otherwise. This man was not here. Do you believe them? You're not allowed to believe them. Why? Because here you're not a quest. There's no question they're lying. You saw something else. I, the Torah says, believe two witnesses. Why do we believe two witnesses? 
Moshe Rabbeinu told us to believe two witnesses. Is it possible they're lying? It's possible. What if you know they're lying? Then you're not allowed to believe them. Of course you're not allowed to believe them. Al pishnayim edim, because we assume that it's true. If you know for sure, you saw it. I know. Somebody tells me, ten people tell me that my wife is in Australia visiting her sister. I can't believe it. I'm sorry. What if they show me proofs? They show me passports and they bring me documents. I saw her this morning. It's very hard to get to Australia so fast. Maybe with Anana Shmaya, but she's not that talented. You know it's a lie. So the Rambam says the Navi makes miracles. You know that he's lying. Why? Because he's contradicting Moshe. Moshe, we saw. Miracles is not 100%. That's the Rambam's explanation. What? What does this mean? So the Rambam says, if the miracle comes, don't listen. He's coming with a miracle to deny that which you saw with your own eyes. Miracles are great, but I saw. And since we don't believe in his miracles, we only believe in why? Because Moshe said to believe the Navi, if he follows the criteria. This man is saying, Moshe is not true. The Navu of Moshe is not true. So if I believe him, I reject Moshe. Moshe, I saw the truth. Here I have to believe the truth. Seeing is believing. Believing is not believing. <laughs> Seeing is believing. Believing is believing. If it conforms to Moshe, fine. Moshe said, I love Tishmon, I listened to him. He now wants to undermine Moshe. So now I have to choose. So he's pu- by denying Moshe's nevuah, he's pulling the rug out of his own, of his own uh, from under his own feet. He delegitimizes himself. I, he stopped the sun. I, he resurrected the dead. I, he brought down food from heaven. I suddenly have $10 million in my bank. I, he splits a sea. I, he heals the sick. Abracadabra kadu. Wonderful. Great. I would like him as my neighbor. But not as my prophet. He does not ascertain. He does not determine what is true. So Moshe says, if he comes and he says, Do avoid I am telling you. Hashem says, never listen to him. This is a lie. God never said it. I, he performed a miracle, he performed a miracle. One, one more piece in the Rambam, Perik Tess. This halach is so important to understand how Jewish history developed and how in every generation Jews had to make a decision what we listen to, what we don't. It says clearly in the Torah, and again, the Torah we accept, not because of tradition, but because we know it's true. Moshe wrote the Torah. Moshe gave them the Torah. And in the Torah, he documented what they saw and what they heard. Is it possible that Moshe gave them the Torah and he made it up? It's possible. But then it was a hard job he had. He had to give it to the Jewish people. They open up the Torah. What does it say in the Chumash? It says, you stood at my Medhar Sinai, you heard God. And they all look at Moshe, let's call him Moshe Jefferson. 
and they say, Moishala, Moishala. Sorry, this never happened. If Moshe would have just written in the Torah, God spoke to me. That's what everybody else does. God spoke to me. It's not what he writes. He says, God spoke to you. Now for this, either, either you're a tzedreter, you're a meshugana, right? Or you're real. A con artist you can't be because you're telling people what they saw. So either you're nuts. If you're nuts, you're nuts. So then reality doesn't mean anything. Or you're for real. One of the things he writes in the Torah is that mitzvahs are forever. Ain la shinu, they don't change. Lo giroyin, they're not decreased. For lo they're not, we don't add. From here we learn a Navi could never invent a new element of the Jewish religion. If a man stands up a Jew or non-Jew, he makes a miracle. And the miracle happens. And he says, a man gets up, he does a miracle. Valda community says, I heard a message. God revealed himself to me last night in my vision, and he said, Rabbi say it's time to add a new mitzvah. Every Sunday morning, 9.30, you gather your families together at a table and you throw tomatoes at each other. You throw tomatoes at each other and you do this for three hours straight. And the tomatoes have to be at least shia kazayas. Mitzvah mena mufcher shia kebetza. Mahadrin mena mahadrin like a watermelon. If you don't have tomatoes, best lechatchila to use watermelon. No watermelons, you use tomatoes. Okay, you're laughing, but I ask you a question. I remember the first time I was traveling, where was I traveling to the Far East, and I put on tefillin on the airplane. And the looks that I got when I put on those tefillin, I realized, you know, it does look strange. It does look strange. Somebody who grew up with it, fine, but it does look strange. This guy heard from God. Or not to throw tomatoes, anything. Or to take off a mitzvah. Hashem told him, Shabbos has been obliterated. It's been too tough. Shabbos has been obliterated. People are busy, they're stressed, they need money. God says, I know the mortgage crisis, the tuition crisis, the shidduch crisis, the chasinus crisis. He takes away a mitzvah. Or he gives a new pshat in a mitzvah that we didn't hear from Moshe. How you build a sukkah, how you blow shoifah, whatever it is. Or he says that one mitzvah was temporary. We know for sure he's lying. Why? Why? Because Moshe said every mitzvah is eternal. It says this in Chumash many times. The Rambam quotes all the psukim. You could look it up in the Rambam. What do then we believe a prophet for? We believe a prophet for three things. Number one, we believe him if he comes to inspire the Jewish people towards living as Jews, as good people. That's much of the works of the Nevi'ah. Number two, if he tells us to do something that does not contradict Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy. Go to war. Don't go to war. Stay away. Don't stay away. Embrace. Don't embrace. Yirmiyah tells Yoshio Hanavi, do not fight against the Egyptians. Yoshio doesn't listen. That's another role of the prophet. Hashem says, a love to Shimon. Listen to the Navi. If he fits the criteria, doesn't mean any person who stands up and says, I'm a Navi. Number three, 
a love to Shmon if he says that he has a temporary, he has a prophecy to break a mitzvah temporarily. For example, Elio Hanavi offers a carbon on Mount Carmel in his competition against the prophets of the Baal. He offers a carbon outdoors, outside of the Beis Hamikdash. How? A love to Shmon, even if he tells you to transgress a word of Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu said, part of what Moshe Rabbeinu said, if he tells you to temporarily break a mitzvah, a love to Shmon. If he know that he's a Navi according to the criteria of Moshe. If he tells you eternally to change a mitzvah, forever, then it's a Navi Shekhar. What if he tells you to pe- temporarily worship Avodah Zarah? Here we don't accept it. Even if he says just for today, we don't accept it. That's the Pasek in Parshish Re. Come back now to the Baal HaTurim. Ah! Is this what the Baal HaTurim meant? Ki mekir b'chanav, bekir b'chanavi. Bekir b'chanavi is who? Zu ha'isha ubna. The woman and her son. Mary and Yeshu. Who together revolutionized the landscape of planet earth. He claimed that he was a prophet, or his disciples claimed that he was a prophet, but the message ultimately included worshipping Avodah Zarah, attributing to a human being, to him, godliness, to, to attribute a human being divinity, to worship a human being, to say that a human being is God incarnate, or the other doctrines of Christianity that are connected to Avodah Zarah, I don't care about the miracles. And we learned here from the Rambam, it may be that he or others performed extraordinary miracles, unbelievable miracles. It's irrelevant. The moment a Muhammad, the moment a Yashke, comes and changes one line of Torah and says, this is not true anymore. This is not relevant anymore. If it's a temporary change of one mitzvah besides of a desirah, yes, if the person conforms to the criteria of a prophet, which is great criteria. We're not now discussing all the criteria of a prophet, but of course one of them is that he is completely committed to the nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Somebody told me, I didn't read this in the sources, somebody told me on Tishbev when we were talking about it, that when Shapsi Tzvi declared himself Mashiach, as we discussed at length on Tishabov, the Taz was the senior Rav of the time. He lived in Poland. Rabbeinu David Segel, the son-in-law of the Bach, who I mentioned earlier, the Turezov, the commentator on Shulchan Aruch, he lived in a city called Lvov, Lemberg, Poland, I believe, today. And he sent his son and his son-in-law to check out this phenomenon of Shapsi Tzvi. So somebody said that he saw once, he read once, that the Taz asked them to see if he deviates even from an Isodir <laughs> Even from an Isodir Abonon, a rabbinic prohibition, he should, they should notice. So the story is, according to this person, they saw in sources that they came back and they said that he was Shaykh of Prakten, meaning he was lying on his back flat, which the Gemara says in Brachas, you should not do. So the Taz says, Ay bazay is if so, he can't be a Mashiach. Why? Prakten. Now we know that Shapsi Tzvi did more than Prakten. Shap could be the Taz's Hevra did not see it. Shapsi Tzvi, um, under the fast days, he didn't fast on Tishabov, he didn't fast Shivas and Batamos. That breaks halacha. You undermine yourself. 
Are you doing miracles? Even if you're doing miracles, it's almost irrelevant. The moment you change one se'if in Shulchan Aruch, and you say, no more, no more, God told me. He used to make a brach in the morning, Baruch atah Hashem alakeinu malachayolam, matir isurim. The moment that happens, you just pull the rug. Because Mashiach, by definition, God sent you. If it's contradicting Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm sorry, out. I want you to understand the immune system that Judaism had. It's not like throughout the generations, people are constantly changing Judaism, reforming Judaism. Now, halacha itself is very diverse. Let's understand. Just because you eat rice on Pesach, it doesn't mean you're distorting Judaism. If you eat quinoa on Pesach, it doesn't mean you're the founder of a new religion. Yes, there's a debate about quinoa. There's a debate about rice, an old debate. We have to understand halacha itself is very diverse. You have different opinions, different perspectives. But the moment you go outside of the rubric of the of the immune, the structure, the immune system of halacha, all based on Moshe Rabbeinu, by definition, the Jews cannot accept you, not because you're not a nice guy, not because you're not a miracle worker, not because you're not a spiritualist, not because you're kind of charismatic fellow, and not because we don't like you. We may like you very much, but we're not going to dedicate and sacrifice our lives to embrace your new religion based on what you think is true if we don't know 100% is true. In other words, from the Jewish perspective, religion is not about sentimentalism. It's not about what feels good. It's about what is true. What is true. It's not about culture. It's not about family culture. It's not about jarred gefilte fish, Manashevitz matzah. I mean, Manashevitz. Uh, <laughs> who's matzah? Who made the matzah? <laughs> Very good. All these things are wonderful. That's not. We're talking about what's MS, what's not MS. If it undermines Maimed Harsinai, Fafalan, you just pulled out the rug of everything you're teaching. According to this, we now, Rebbe Kiva tells us, we put in context the Balaturim. The Balaturim lives in the early 1300s. He's living in Spain. Spain at that time is also persecuting the Jewish people. And tremendous pressure is imposed upon the Jews to convert to Christianity. The Christians are driving out the Muslims from Spain and successfully they will soon obliterate and expel every last Muslim from Spain. And you have to understand that the Muslims living in Spain over the last hundreds of years were very enlightened. The Jews flourished under them as we discussed on Tisha B'av. They enjoyed what we call the golden age of Spanish Jewry. But it will soon be over. And in the 1400s the Muslims will be completely driven out and the Inquisition is established, and Turkomedei, who comes from Jewish, Jewish roots, who converted, Turkomedei comes from Jews, becomes, you didn't know, come, becomes the head of the Inquisition, and Ferdinand and Isabella will expel every last Jew, 1492 in Spain, Tisha B'Av, Reishnon Beis. Rabbeinu Yaakov Balaturim is living a century and a half before, and there's tremendous pressure. If so, it would make sense that the Baal HaTurim puts in this commentary into the Chumash. And he says, I know the pressure. I know Christianity has a lot to offer these days. For starters, life, happiness, prosperity, survival, maybe a certain amount of liberty. I know the Christians are looking at the Jews and saying, hey, 
Look what the Old Testament brought to you. Misfortune, agony. We rule Europe. We dominate the world. What happened to your God? What happened to your Moses? What happened to your Torah? It was all canceled out. It became the Old Testament. There's now the New Testament. And we know how many Jews surrender to this pressure, both theologically and practically. Practically speaking. Some of the greatest people had, some of the greatest sages had children who converted. Some of the greatest Rebbes had students who converted. The Ramban had to debate his own student who became a Meshumad, Pablo Christianity. Pablo Christiani in 1263, the public spectacle, the debates of Barcelona. Imagine what it is for a Ramban, a Rebbe, to debate his Talmud, whom he raised, who he taught Torah. Understand what the Jews went through? How many Jews converted to Christianity in those years in Spain? Nobody knows. I believe that Prime Minister Netanyahu's father, Bensiya Netanyahu, all of Shalom, was a historian. And he puts the number on more than a half a million. More than a half a million. Some say less. Some say less. I know, I'm not sure. But it was a huge amount of numbers of Jews who left. So the Baal HaTurim is writing here. It makes sense. Bekir b'cha navi zuha isha ubna. Christianity may have a lot going for it these days. But Yiddishkeit is based on emes, on truth. And truth is worth sacrificing for. It's truth. It's what the creator of the world really wants in this world. That's the issue. So this is how they explained the Baal HaTurim. Now... I am going to be a party pooper. I am going to spoil everything I said. Not everything I said. The ideas we spoke about in terms of Maimed Harsinai, Christianity, Navua, the Rambam, are all true. Is this pshat in the Bala Turim? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. It's been said by many, it's been quoted by many, including the name of Rabbi Akiva Eger. But I think you'll see in a moment that there is a much more literal way of explaining the Balaturim. In other words, the ideas we spoke about, what the Balaturim is trying to convey, our relationship to Christianity, our relationship to other religions, our relationship to prophecy, and everything the Rambam discussed, that obviously remains intact. The specific Balaturim, I want to challenge. And let me, t- let me show you the next source. Let me show you the next source. Look in your source sheets after the Rambam. Here we're quoting a Sifri Parshas Re'e. What is the Sifri? Any Yeshiva Bach, anybody who reads knows the Sifri is quoted often. It's good to give context what the Sifri is. The Sifri is what's known as a Medrash Halacha on Bamidbar and Dvarim. Just like the Tanoim authored the Mishnah, and the Amarayim authored the Gemara. The Tanoim also authored commentaries on Chumash. We have Medrash Rabbah. We have Mechilta. We have Torah's Koyhanim. Mechilta is on Sefer Shmois. Torah's Koyhanim is on Sefer Vayikra. It's also called Sifra. And then there is Sifri on Sefer Bamidbar Advarim. It's a commentary of Halacha explaining oral traditions and interpretations of the Tanoim on Bamidbar and Dvarim. The Gemara says in Masech the Sanhedrin, Dav Peivov, Rabbi Yochanan said, Stam Sifri, Reb Shimon. Generally, the Sifri was authored 
by Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, or by his students, or by his way of thinking, by his base medrash, v'kulu aliba de Rabbi Akiva, following the traditions of Rabbi Akiva. This means that Sifri comes from the base medrash of Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, who was the student of Rabbi Akiva, and of course lived in the second century after the common era, a century after the Churban Beis Hamikdash. Says the Sifri, and that's why the authority of the Sifri is unique, very powerful. It's the authority of the Tanoim. The Sifri is a very unique Sefer in its authority, even though it's not learned as much by people for whatever reason. Says the Sifri, you see Sifri, Parshas Reyud Gimel Beis. Ki yakum bekir bechanavi, bekir becha, ha'isha. The word Bekirbecha comes to include a woman. That's what the Sifri says. What is the Sifri telling us? Simple issue. It says when a prophet gets up, a dreamer gets up and tells you, go worship an idol, go worship another God, and he does a miracle. Is this a he or also a she? What if it's a woman? If it's a woman who gets up and does this, she gets up, performs miracles, now, women also perform miracles. The greatest miracle is they stay married to us. But a woman gets up and performs dramatic miracles and says, God told me to worship... Uh, I don't know. She says, God told me to buy me a tennis bracelet. That's one type of nevuah. What if she says, God told me it's time to worship Avaydah Zara? Does this halacha apply to a woman? So the Sifri says... What is the Sifri saying? It could have said, navi. A Navi gets up. What's Bekir Bechanavi? When a Navi amongst you gets up, what's amongst you? Why that word? To include a woman. That's what the Sifri says. If this is the case, now I think the Balaturim is very clear. The Balaturim shows that the word Bekir and the lesson from the Sifri that it includes a woman is not just incidental, it's the gematria of Bekir so The Balaturim says, Bekir Becha, Begematria Zuaisha. So when the Chazal tell us that Bekir comes to include a woman, the Balaturim shows us that the very word Bekir has the numerical value, this is the way. Now you'll ask me a question, how did the Chazal know that Bekir means Ha'isha. It's true, it's an extra word. But how did they know that it includes a woman? Here there are two interpretations that were given by great scholars of the last generation. The first by the Ur Sameach, the Meshachachma, and the second by the Nitziv. Let's see what the Ur Sameach says in his commentary, Meshachachma. You probably know the Meshachachma is a commentary on Chumash that was authored by Rabbeinu Meir Simcha Hakoyen who was the rabbi of Dvinsk in Latvia, and passed away in the year Tofresh Pei Vov, 1926. Was one of the great Litvish, a great giants of Lithuania. Meshech Chachm, it's called Meshech, because Meshech is the acronym of his name. You knew that? Meshech is Meir Simcha Koyin. Meshech Chachm. In Parshish Rei, this is what he says. Besifri bekir pirush, sha'af isha tuchaliyas neviyah. A woman could be a prophet just like a man. No distinctions. 
If she tells you to go worship Avedazari, you don't listen to her, just like you don't listen to a male prophet. But if she tells you temporarily to transgress another mitzvah, and she suits the criteria of a Navi, a woman is just as suitable to be a prophet as a man. Keinu pidosh sefri this is the meaning of the sefri, bekirbecha lerabbis ha'isha. Bekirbecha includes a woman. The question is, how did they get this from the word bekirbecha? And here you'll have a unique phenomenon that you won't find often. The Ursa Meach on his own, the Meisimcha Koyin, a Jew, from the 19th century and 20th century, invents a Shava. This is not something you will find. A Jew living in the 1900s gives us a new Shava, But he feels he has to. Why? Because he has to explain the Sifri. Says the Ursa Meshach This is original. V'yalif b'kirbecha g'zei me'hach t'ksiv b'shoiftim yudzayin. A few parshias later, shoiftim perik yudzayin, the Pasuk says, ki yimotzei b'kirbecha, b'kirbecha ish, oi isha v'yelech v'yavit chuli. If there will be found among you, b'kirbecha, from amongst you, a man or a woman, who will go worship, Idolatry, Elikim Achedim, the Pasuk continues the dire consequences. So Chazal said, it says, it's superfluous. It could have said, it says, it says, superfluous. It's here for Gzeir Just like there, the Bekirbecha includes men and women, it says clearly, Isha Isha. Here too, the Bekirbecha includes a woman. That's why the Sifri says, Lerabes Ha'isha. This is Rabbeinu Meir Simcha Koyen of Dvinsk, who wrote the Sefer Ur Sameach. That's why he's known as Ur Sameach. Sameach, by the way, right, <laughs> is almost like Meshech, also. <laughs> Meir Simcha. Now, we come to the Nitziv. The Nitziv has a very different perspective. The Nitziv has a different... I should say that there's an Emuke Yosef in Babakama who says that if the Chazal derived something from somewhere and they did not articulate a a person can try to deduce what the is, and probably the Meshach Chachma was relying on that Nimukha Yosef for himself to come up with a But now we finally have one more interpretation from the Nitziv. The Nitziv is Rabbeinu Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. Nitziv, Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. He was the rabbi and Rosh Yeshiva of the famed Lithuanian mother of yeshivas, the Valozhna Yeshiva, which is in Belarus in Belarus, not far from Minsk, and the Nitziv was the Rosh Yeshiva of Alajan. He was a son-in-law of Reb Itzhala of Alajan, Reb Yitzchak of Alajan, who succeeded his father, Reb Chaim Valajan, as the founder of the Valajan Yeshiva. So yeah, Reb Chaim Valajan was a student of the Vilna Gon, one of the greatest students of the Vilna Gon, who founded the Yeshiva. He was succeeded by his son, Reb Itzhala of Alajaner. Your father would have had a no that uh, I could say all these names. Reb Itzhala of Alajaner. And Reb Itzhala of Alajaner, his, his father was a big historian, writer in the Farvitz. I don't know how many people read his column, but I was one of the people, probably by Krieger and me, are the only ones who read your father's column in the Farvitz. Gewaldike history. Reb Itzhala of Alajaner's son-in-law was the Nitziv, Rabbeinu Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. He passed away, Chaf Ches of, 28th day of Av, Tafresh Nun Gimel, 1893. Buried in Warsaw. This is the Nitziv. The Nitziv wrote very interesting Svarim. It was a Gon Oilam, and he wrote Svarim on books, on texts that most people don't touch. 
He wrote a pirush on the Sheiltois of Reb Achai Gon. He wrote a pirush on the Sifri. It's called Emek HaNetziv. The Nitziv tells us, how did they learn it out from Bekir Becha? A very original insight. What does Bekir Becha mean? In your midst. Right? We say there's an expression by Kairach, Bekerev Kol Yisrael, amidst all Jews. Even when you come to an animal, what are the Kravayim? The Kravayims are the part of the intestines that are in the, so to speak, the Kishkas in the middle of the animal, in the midst of the animal. Bekir Becha means in your midst, among all of you. Kiyakum Bekir Becha Navi is not just a Navi. It's a Navi who is in your midst, among all of you. How did the Chazal know that's a woman? So the Nitziv brings us to a Posik in Shoftim, to a Tana Yahu, and to a Gemara in Megillah. Zak the Posik, Zak the Gemara Megillah. The Posik says in Shoftim, Udvoyre Ishenavia Eishes Lapidosi Shoftes Israel Beisahi. Dvoira was a prophetess, the wife of Lapidois. The Gemara interprets it that he used to prepare, she used to prepare psilois, wicks to burn in the base Hamikdash in the Menorah. She judged the Jewish people at that time. Dvoira was the spiritual leader, the judge of the Jewish people. She sits under a palm tree. It's called Toimer Dvoira, the palm tree of Dvoira. Toimer Dvoira. Between the Ramah and Bethel in the mountain of Ephraim and all the Jewish people come up to her to be judged. If you have a question, if you have a dispute, if you have a debate, if you need guidance, if you need counsel, Dvoira is the Rebetzin of Klal Yisrael at the time. Why is she sitting under a palm tree? You might say, because it was a nice place to be. You might say, why does the Navi have to tell us, she was always under a palm tree? This is part of a halach. Because of yichud. The palm tree is tall. You know, a palm tree is tall. The ain't sail. Therefore, because it's so tall, doesn't have so much shadow. People came all the time. A person, it wasn't easy for a person to have yichud with her, to be alone with her, like in a closed, confined home. So in order to create the boundaries of morality, which is the concept of yichud, that a man and a woman, if they're not married or close relatives, should not be in one room alone because of the biological nature of both men and women, she sat in this open place under the palm tree and everybody could come up. Probably a good lesson also for the 21st century. Okay. Says the Nitziv. That's why Bekir Becha is a woman. Because when a woman is a Navi, when a woman is a prophet, when a woman is a judge, it's Bekir Becha. It's in an open place. It's amongst others. So, when the Navi rises from amongst you, Dvoira did not serve as a prophet in a confined space where people would go. It was always in a place where the kalal, where the collective is open and welcome. That's how Chazal knew that. So, we have Reb Meir Simcha's approach, the Nitziv's approach, that it is in the very word based on this. Gemara, from your midst, from among 
all of you. If this is the case, we now come back to our dear Baal HaTurim. When it says, Ki yakum Go back to the classic Balaturim. In all the original Balaturims, we don't have an extra word. Although at some point, to deal with this mysterious Balaturim, people inserted it. But once we have this Sifri, we see clearly what the Balaturim is saying. Dar Sameach gave his interpretation, the Tziv gave their interpretation, his interpretation. But generations earlier, the Balaturim says, the Sifri says the is So the Balaturim shows us that Chazal were so accurate and meticulous because the numerical value of the word Bekirbecha is Zu Ha'isha. This is the woman 324. And from here we learn that all of the halachas of prophecy apply to the man and the woman identically. Just like the Gemara says there in Megillah that there were Sheva Nevi'ahs, there were seven prophets that the Jewish people had. One of them was Dvoira, but it's not just seven. Throughout all of the generations, a man and a woman could be equal prophets, and therefore all of the halachas of Nevuah, the Sifri tells us, apply to a man and a woman identically. Now you're going to ask me a question. Rabbi Akiva Eger didn't know the Sifri. Rabbi Akiva Eger didn't know the Sifri. <laughs> the answer is, Rabbi Isai, I looked. <laughs> this Sifri was not, this text of the Sifri was not in all the Sifris. Some of the oldest Sifris I saw does not have this text. Why not? Is Ashaila. Maybe it also has to do with somebody who didn't understand, even though it's not a gematri, I don't know what you have to understand here. The Sifri says, it's not mysterious. Balaturim is mysterious. I don't know, but it's not. However, we know for sure it's here because it's in the Yalkut Shemaini, which is a medrash composed later, compiles from earlier Medrashim. And in other editions of the Sifri, it remains intact. If you look today in the Sifri, most new editions have it in the Sifri. And I indeed saw, I just randomly on Shabbos, I took out the new Mikroiz G'doyles Chumash, they have now all the new beautiful Mikroiz G'doyles Chumashim, to see what they did with the Balaturim. So I saw in one of them, the new, but the new uh, Mikroiz G'doyles, I think by, by Reinitz, so he has the Balaturim, Kiyokum. Bekir bechanavi balaturim, bekir becha, begematria zu haisha, and in parentheses sifri. <laughs> in parentheses sifri, he put in the word. That's not in the text of the balaturim, but he put in the word sifri to explain what the balaturim is saying, explaining and proving the words of the sifri that bekir becha zu haisha. So here we have the dramatic evolution of a pirish of the balaturim. We started off with the mystery of the Balaturim, Begematria Zuha Isha. What is he talking about? We brought the suggestion of many great Jews that has become prevalent in quite a few Svarim that the censor played with this Balaturim. The Balaturim really said, Bekir Bechanavi Begematria Zuha Isha Ubnai. He was referring to Miriam and Isaiah explaining to the Jews why we reject Christianity, and we explained the whole idea of why we reject Christianity, what the Pasuk is saying, that miracles are really irrelevant to establish ultimate, absolute, unwavering truth, which is based exclusively on Maimon Harsinai, as the Rambam explains at length. And then we spoiled our shear a little bit, or a lot, I don't know, by uh, saying that that may not be what the Baal HaTurim wrote. There may have not been any censorship. The original Baal HaTurim is Oimed V'Kayam, it's kosher, and it's Geshmak. He's explaining the words of the Sifri, Bekir Bechalara with the two interpretations of the later Acheroinim, the Nitziv and the between the possible connection of Bekir Becha and Ha. 
Isha, now I saw you were making with your head. You're not masking with me? Okay, you like the first part. It's more juicy. I know it's more juicy. You want to know the zoo, the word zoo. Okay, the word zoo. Now, I have to admit, the first interpretation is much more juicy. But the whole Shia was based on the idea that as Jews, we don't follow the juice. We follow the truth. <laughs> so even though the first interpretation may be more juicy, I think the second interpretation is more true. <laughs> I'll tell you why he says Zuha Isha. First of all, okay, Haisha doesn't work. Because <laughs> Bekerbech is not Haisha. But the point is, Navi is a prophet. The word Bekerbecha was written specifically to include the woman. If it would have said, Kiyakum Navi, Kiyakum Navi you may say it refers to a male. So the word Bekerbecha, Zuha Isha, this is the Isha. Huh? So you want to know why the Gematria is not Haisha, why it's Zuha Isha. You want to know in Inyan? In Inyan, it should have been a word that's Haisha, not Zuha Isha. Huh? Okay. Hasta Shaila. Hasta Shaila. Adam Hata Enfad Magnishtan Enfad. But I think what the Balaturim is saying is don't think Chazal Stam invented Bekir Okay, a woman. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's a slave. Maybe it's an Evid. Evid Lo'enim Meshukhra, maybe. You could add anybody. Bekir is the Gematria Zuha Isha. So therefore, it gives more Hamtakim, more sweetness to the limit of the Chazal. Yeah, this, Bala Turim is the 1300s. The Sifri is a thousand years before that. A thousand years before that. So once the Sifri says it on Bekir Bacha, to go and say the Bala Turim meant anything else, I think is very far-fetched. The fact that some people interpreted the Bala Turim, they didn't see the Sifri. So you have to, credit is, credit is due where credit is due. So the ingenious chap, to add another word to the Bala Turim, and create a whole structure from it, and the idea remains a true idea. The Pshat and the Balaturim, however, I think is, as we suggested. You mean Dvoira, It can be referring to Dvoira, because this is a Pasuk about a prophet who says to go worship other gods. So it can't be referring to Dvoira. But the concept is referring to any man or woman in history. Nevua is something that's not connected to males. It's connected to females equally. Maybe even more. Have a wonderful week. It's a good question. Why you not? Zuha Isha. Zuha Isha Ish, maybe. But, right? There's no relevance to Isha. Well, he has to work with the Gematria. No, right. But she wasn't, she wasn't prophesizing, so why would it. No, mean because that? it's based on the miracle that there was immaculate conception. It starts with her, that she didn't have a husband, yeah. and she was conceived so from, uh, from heaven. But yeah, it's part, it's part of the miracle. If you believe that miracle, it starts from there. It starts from there. She didn't have a husband, and she was impregnated by uh, by the Creator, so to speak. That's their belief. So she's a major fact, and that's why there's the whole Trinity. She's a major. Uh, the mother always plays a big role in everything. You don't dismiss the mother. Ayidish Amame, huh? Bli Kol Simon. Bli Kol Simon. I'm saying that they're they're on bond at the end of Bay. He like I'm saying that the, the Rambam is like the most I guess at least for me is most satisfying Yisaid Hamuna. But the, the Ramban happened. He he does rely on the Nisim and Mitzrayim and you know like. 
I don't think the Rambam here is rejecting the Nisim of Mitzrayim. He's right. saying that right. you could still be a doubt. Listen, when you see the Ten Makas, uh, you see Kriyas Yamsov, right. the Rambam is not rejecting it. Right. 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 He's just saying, understand, it's even more powerful. Right. Right. Of course right. that's major, and right. nobody ever did that. Right. Nobody brought ten makas and Mitzrayim did Kriyas right. Yamsuf. You understand that if you were there, if you were normal, you would believe Moshe. Right. But still, it's, it's not enough. Right. It's still not enough. 99% right. is not enough. Right, we right. need 100%. Right. So th- What's 100% in this world? Right. What we see. Right. You understand? Right, right. Miracles? Maybe 90%, 95%, but that's not Judaism. Right. That's 100%. Right. Some things with the Rambam I understand I'm totally satisfied with. I understand why yes. he did it, but the Ramban, it always like bothered me. So what, is, what does the Ramban do with the Rambam saying, well, something oh. could always doubt it, you know? Like, it always like, you know, <laughs> you know. You know, the Ramban says here, yeah. why does it tell you to say, ki yakum bekir Yeah. Why are you calling him a prophet? Right. You just said he's a liar. Lo- you're saying he's a liar. Right. So you know what the Ramban says? Right. He says, number one, it could be, it means he thinks he's a prophet. Or he says he's a prophet. Right. Then he says, no, maybe he's really a prophet. He sees the future. And the Ramban says that some people have an internal spiritual sense and an ability to predict the future. And they are right. Huh. They are real Nevi'im. And yet... They're false prophets. Because right. God never told them this. Right. So he's a Novi. He's Taka right. Novi. The Ramban right. says. Right. Right. Afo Pekin, you don't listen to him. Right. Why? Because it's false. Well, that's what he says. No, the the Ramban right. says it right, right, right here. Right, right. Parshas Ray, you could look it up. Right, right. It says there's people who are your Idea Sidas. Yeah, psychics, whatever. <laughs> it's interesting. Ramban says it. Right. He gives a whole mechanism that, that they're... Right. That's yeah. They would detect the wells. What do they call them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even the Ramban itself, like, I finally, I, I, like, I finally figured, like, I thought the shot could be, like, the Kal Yisrael is in Mitzrayim and everything, and they, that was, like, the place of all, like, the, all, the most Kishav. So, to, to them, if they were able to say, oh, we see this as a nace, that was the most convincing thing, you know what I mean? Like, like if, if it would have been, if, to us, like, we don't know, that we can't differentiate between a nace and Kishav, but them growing up within the right. real, you know, the real, I mean, still, the Rambam is still more, like, you know... Satisfying no, no, no question that they were so used to Kishav, they should have questioned that it was Kishav. Right. And why didn't they ask if Maimon Harsina was Kishav? Right. <laughs> right. right. Okay. They should have said it's Kishav. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. So it, 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 certain things maybe Kishav can't do. And if they were convinced from that, I mean, that's their own body right. saying. They're convinced Could from Kishif that. Could Kishav make three million people conv- right. convinced that God is actually experienced right. and making them... Right. Right. Okay, okay yeah. <laughs> Points well taken. Yeah. The the, the Chofman, he's not making his Shav, he's just saying that that's the tithe. He has he has a ride, that's the tithe of Bekirbuch, just like the No, he says Yalaf Mgzair Shav. He says Yalaf Bekirbuch Xair Shav. You just know that Bekirbuch means Ish Mishav, because I see it says. That's Xair Shav. It doesn't say Bekirbuch doesn't mean Ish Mishav. Bekirbuch brings things that don't stay, right? You have a Shav means like this. You have a word here that's extra. You have a word there that's extra. Just like there, there's a certain halacha. Yeah, you get all the halachas right. there so over there it says bekerbacha. Over there it also says isha isha. So that means when it says bekerbacha there, right, it includes an isha isha. Here it doesn't say isha isha. Does it define but the meaning of right. No, exactly. it does not. It does not. You don't need exer shava if that's pshat bekerbacha. That's the nitziv's chiddush. The nitziv's chiddush is that it's bekerbacha. He, he says clearly exer shava. He says clearly exer shava. 
It's not a it's not a common thing in the 1900s in Luxembourg. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's, 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 that's, not the, that's not the positive. Yes, it's not the pshat bekeir b'cha. That's the nitzivs chiddush. The nitzivs chiddush. It's pshat and bekeir b'cha. It's not even the pshat of the pasuk. Right. Right. Otherwise, it wouldn't just. Right. Right. Perik hachayvul, I think. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.